Well, hello everyone, and I am so thrilled, really, to be a part of this and to be able to draw you into God's Word. There is just no better place, nothing that is going to give us more hope and security um, at times like this. And so I feel it is a real privilege and opportunity to take all who are listening into God's Word and just to show you that when when you get unsettled about the things that are going on in our world, in our country, in our city, when you get unsettled, which is so natural, to hear Jesus say, I am the way, come to me, um, I am your way. And then, you know, when you you wonder, when you watch the news and maybe you're thinking, who can I trust? Who can I believe in? Um, Who's really saying it right? And uh, then remember when Jesus said, I am your truth. I am the truth. Come to me. You can count on me giving you truth. And then... Sometimes we even get a hopeless feel. Sometimes we just have a sense of throwing in the towel. And then may you hear Jesus say, I am your life. I am life. Come to me. There's just no better place, no better person that we can go to that will settle us. And again, like I always start, when we start the lesson, I always say, and I hope you say it right along with me, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all I need. Before I even go into um, John chapter 18 today, can I just read this psalm that David wrote? I just want to read a few verses. I mean, this is, he's not, he's not requesting anything. He is just silently surrendering. And I think that's what we need. We need to silently surrender. And this is what David said. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. And he repeats this. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God And he is my mighty rock, my refuge. And just think, this is what he wrote way back then. Look how it fits. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, that every word is true, and it gives us encouragement, it challenges us, it settles us, it gives us hope, it shows us our our way, and it is the truth, every word. And no wonder Paul told Timothy to use your use this book, use your word for for everything, because it is just what we need in times like this. 
like always, but in times like this as well. So, Father, thank you again for John and for um, the way he wrote his gospel. And, Lord, as we delve into the 18th chapter, maybe may we be ready to hear from you in whatever we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, John 18, and it comes off from the prayer. We followed a timeline. Um, we have watched John um, unfold the last week of Jesus meticulously, and um, he ended the public um, teaching um, in John 12. Um, John um, he ended the, the apostles' teaching at the end of John 16, and then Last week, we talked about John 17, and it was the prayer that Jesus prayed, first for himself. And it is really true, when you get yourself right, then and only then are you going to be effective to people closest to you, and then all the people that you are in contact with around you. So Jesus laid this prayer out so perfectly. He prayed for himself first. He prayed that God would glorify him so that he in turn could glorify him right back. And then, and then he prayed for his disciples. He prayed that, that they would be protected. And I don't think it was necessarily humanly protection for the human body, but that he, they would be protected from, from, well, the ways of the world and the temptations of the world and, and the natural human inclinations to get drawn and want to be um, popular or say what people want to hear. And, and, um, but he wanted protection so that they would stick to the, the name of Jesus. They would stick to the truth. And then he prayed also for their um, sanctification, that they would keep growing, that they would keep moving forward. And Father, um, that is so what we need to be asking too. So when Jesus prayed to his Father these things, we can take it so personal as well. Because one thing we need is protection from our own self and from the evil one. But we also need to be sanctified, keep, keep moving forward in our growth and in our knowing who Jesus is. Keep, keep studying the truth. And then he prayed for all believers. And the one thing that he prayed that, that we would all be one. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He wants the believer to get along, to not be divided, to know that the one thing that we have in common is Jesus, salvation, the cross, and that should unify us all, even though we're different and have differences of opinion. He, he knows that the one thing we should stick to is the one thing that we have in common, and that's Jesus. And then when he finished his prayer, when he had finished praying, just like it says John 18, as we start this chapter, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kindred Valley, on the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, that probably was a very um, 
special place, you know, with the chaos of all what they dealt with, with religious leaders and with, with people that were just constantly picking at Jesus, there was this place that they could go and, and, and sense a quietness, a, a serenity, a, a beautiful sense of um, together, quiet, with each other, and then with the Father. And says that in verse 2, now Judas, who betrayed him, he knew about that place. He knew that that is where they would go to kind of regroup, to to kind of get revitalized and ready to go out and face what they had to face again. And so, you know, it wasn't coincidence that Judas knew this place and that he knew at a time like this, Jesus would take his disciples there. So now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers. Now, you have to picture this. This is a familiar passage, but what I what I really um, want you to do that will be effective in your understanding and and kind of sensing what what's going on is try to just put yourself in there. Like you know how they say, "Oh, I wish I was a fly on the wall." Maybe if you and I could just be a little fly on the wall and we watch what's going on. Not just read the words, but try to use our senses to sense what is happening. And and when when um in this in the garden, all of a sudden here comes a detachment of soldiers. And I don't know if you knew this, but I mean, a detachment of Roman soldiers could be between three and five hundred. So we're not talking just a couple or even even a dozen. We're talking hundreds of Roman soldiers are coming in along with officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. So you have two things. You've got, you've got number. You've got a lot of numbers here. You've got power because you have the chief priests or you have the chief leaders of the Pharisees. And you have, so you have numbers and power. And isn't that what we so often think that that's going to do the that's going to do it and so you you come with big numbers you come with power and then it says they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons i mean if we go back to matthew matthew 26 jesus says what do you think you come with all these weapons and all these numbers and and what do you think i'm going to start a rebellion I mean, here they are coming after one man with three to six hundred Roman soldiers, plus the power, the the power horses of the religious sect. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he knew. And he look at this, he went out to ask them. He stepped out. I mean, right now, you and I could just start to sing. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have, he could have just said, you know, I don't have to do this. I am God, and I don't have to do this. And yet, we know he did for our sake. 
but he knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked that big crew there, who do you want? Who do you want? And they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when you first read that, you, you don't think much of it. But when you, um, when you go into that little phrase, Jesus of Nazareth, we know that that was one of Jesus' titles. But believe it or not, that was a low blow. They couldn't have said anything more belittling, more lowly. Because remember when it was said, what good could come out of Nazareth? You know, Nazareth, Nazareth was notorious for being um, poor and, you know, um, well, not your high society and, and a little more lowly state. And, and so when, when Jesus came on the scene, that was one of the first things, you know, asked well, you know, or stated what good could possibly come from Nazareth. And so when they said Jesus of Nazareth, they were really going after that kind of hitting them below the belt. Like, you are really a nothing. And so when they, when, when they said Jesus of Nazareth, and then Jesus replied, I am he. Now, NIV Bible and the King James both say the word he, I am he. But I went to the, the original text and he is not in there. And that, that to me makes more sense because the I am, those two words are the most powerful words and it, it was even started back in Exodus when, when Moses um, said to God, who should I say sent me? If Pharaoh says, where in the world did you come from? Who sent you? And God answered back and said, you just tell him, I am sent you. And then we know how Jesus calls himself, I am, you know, the bread of life, the gate, the um, alpha and the omega. We know that the I am's help us to see all who he is. But those two words, I am. And when he said that, when he said that I am, they drew back. That means that was whole that whole detachment. All the religious, all the religious leaders, all those powerhouse people and the numbers, like we talked about, all, all of them fell back and fell to the ground when Jesus stated that I am. They come with power. They thought they came with power. But no matter how many numbers, no matter what you've achieved in this life, we always will have someone, the only someone, who is most powerful. So when he acknowledged that he was who they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am and his majesty and his power set them all right back to the ground. Again, he asked them, Jesus asked them, 
who is it you want? And they repeated, Jesus of Nazareth. He said it again. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. He was really clear about protecting his leaven there. He said, it's me you want, and let these other men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And we went back, and and last week we we read that when he said in in chapter um, 17, he said, verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, the son of perdition. But he said this again, I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now, I, I thought I would just um, tell you what I came up with here because I was taken with the I am and the power that those two words really bring for you and me when, when we um, maybe question to be able to hear Jesus say, I am. And that sounds secure. That, that sounds like there's no hesitation. There's no doubt. He is who he is. I am. So I thought I would contrast. And, and so just, just kind of bear with me here because um, when Jesus was born, when Jesus was born, he was born as probably the most humble of babies. I mean, when you and I think of, of his birth and and we we know that that it was in a um, in a cave and you know it, it, there was no room even in a in a room there was no room for him. I mean we 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 get that. But then you think, but this humble birth. But how was he announced? He was announced by the angels of heaven. Then when you think about where where they laid him, they laid him in a food trough, in a manger. And yet, what directed the shepherds and the wise men? What directed them? A star of the heavens. And then when you think about Jesus submitting himself to baptism, I mean, that is, that is the symbol of the walking into the water as, as our sin is going to be washed away and it's symbolic of, of our sins washing away and we come out of the water, new life in Christ. And there he was, perfect, the Son of God, and he, he submitted himself to baptism. And yet, look what the voice, look what voice he heard, that, that divine voice of God the Father approving of who Jesus is. So you have the, the lowly, and then you have the majestic. You see the the man, and then you see the God part of him. How Jesus is certainly man, but he is certainly God as well. And then he slept 
in a boat, and he was exhausted. He was tired. His human body felt the same things that, of course, we we feel. So he's he's sleeping at the bottom of the boat, tired as can be. And yet, when they wake him, he still he stills the storm. He's able to calm the waves. And then when we're at Lazarus' grave, we see Jesus wept. He again showed his human feelings. And then in the next breath, what is he doing? He's calling Lazarus out of the grave. And here in this story, you see and, and you can sense Jesus surrendering. He's surrendering to this arrest. Even though they came with numbers and power, he gave himself. He surrendered to his arrest. And yet, when he said, I am, the power and majesty caused all of the troops to fall over. And then he died on a cross, probably the worst and the most humble ways to die. I mean, the worst way. Yet he defeated sin and death and the enemy. So couldn't help, but um, when they called him Jesus of Nazareth, they were really belittling him. And, you know, in his human nature, he was all of those lowly things. He felt what we feel. And yet you cannot deny that the contrast of his Godhead was very visible as well. Then Peter, verse 10, then Peter, who had a sword. Now, John is the only one of the Gospels who identifies Peter, calls him, calls him his name, so we know exactly who it is. So when Peter, Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. His name was Malchus. So we know he was a real person. And of all people, it was the high priest's servant. So, I mean, he's visible. He's known. And Peter, typical, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that, that wants to defend him because I think, you know, he was trying, he was really trying to really help Jesus, you know, in his impulsiveness. He just, you know, gets his sword and cuts off that ear. And Now, Jesus didn't cut him any slack. In fact, Jesus commanded Peter I mean, it wasn't something that Jesus said, oh, Peter, thank you, I know you meant well. Um, no, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. And I think he said it like he meant it. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He knows what he has to do. Remember, by this time, he's already said, Father, if you can come up with any other way, but not my will, but thine be done. He knew what he was 
asked to do by the Father. And again, I reiterate, how many times did Jesus say, I know I brought glory to the Father because I have said what he's wanted me to say, and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Then, then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. So now we watch the step-by-step walk here. So they, they, I don't think they were too gentle with him either. They, they come and they arrest him. They bound him up. And they brought him first to Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Now, why did they bring him to Annas? Now, Annas had been high priest between the years 6 and 15 AD. So he was a high priest. And then he had four sons who were high priests too. High priest, it stayed in the family. And then after the fourth son, then it probably went to his youngest daughter or her, her husband. So maybe he had five children, he had four sons, and then he had a daughter. And so now the priesthood went to the son-in-law, Caiaphas, who John makes sure we remember who he is. He's the one who said, it's best that we get rid of one man for a nation. So verse 14, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for all the people. So now we're gonna we're gonna um leave them there they're at Annas and it's kind of like um you know, he's the grandpa, he's the, he's the older of the, of the high priest, you know. So maybe they brought him to Annas because he's the, the head one. He's the kind of the, the leader of the family. And so we're going to leave him here for a minute. And then we change gears because now we adjust and we go to where Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now, when John writes his gospel, he never says I. He's always writing about himself. So when, when he says Simon Peter and another disciple, it is, it's him. They were following Jesus. And because this disciple, John must have had some ties. And because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So he had a little extra privilege. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. But then the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty, and brought Peter in. So he got Peter inside. And Peter... Um, I think John wants us to see that uh, it is a girl, not a big uh, guard that's scary and huge and all that. He wanted us to know that it was a girl that was 
at the door. And she said, asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door, it seems like we, we really need to know that, that it's just a girl, not a scary guy. And yet, Peter, if this doesn't start showing us how you can get off, how fear fear and self and how we can get off track so quickly, even the best if we are not careful. And that's why this lesson too is so fitting for now. And we've got to really be aware of how quickly we can call ourselves Christian. We can say we believe that, that God's in control. And we know though that's, those are true statements. And yet, if we are not careful and let the Holy Spirit keep bringing this truth and these promises to our forefront, we are going to jump to that road of self and we are going to start stumbling all over the emotions and the ways of human nature. And this is exactly what's happened here. I mean, Peter knows better, but, but here this, this young girl says, you're one of them, aren't you? Aren't you one of them? And he replied, I am not. I mean, there was nothing to be afraid of here, and yet he denied it. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. So you can picture that. He's among all the other servants and officials standing around this fire. Peter also was standing with him, warming himself. So that's where we leave him now. We leave that scene and we go back. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So Annas, the high priest, then was, was questioning Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus was not going to go in the area and in the, in, the, in the topic of his disciples. He's just so trying to protect them. So he, he answers this way. As, as this high priest is questioning and probing, he says, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues or the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. So he's just simply saying to them, I am not trying to cause any trouble. I didn't try to um, have secrets, that we had a secret mission, that we had a secret undertaking. No, I taught in the open, in synagogues, in the temple, where all Jews could come. Anybody was welcome. Ask them. I mean, he was saying, if you really want to really know if I'm telling you the truth, ask them. And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. 
So here it starts. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. And Jesus comes back with this. If I said something wrong, tell me, testify as to what I said wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why, why did you strike me? You know, it says, then Anna sent him still bound to Caiaphas. Did you notice he didn't answer Jesus' question? Why was I hit? And I think Annas thought, okay, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what to do with him. So, you know, um, I'll send him to Caiaphas. So now he's on his way to Caiaphas, and we're going to go back to that fire. Simon Peter stood warming himself. He was asked, you are, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. He denied it, saying, I am not. Verse 26. Now, John details this. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. In other words, I was there. I saw this. You know, I mean, it's like Peter... Well, when he said, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Remember how he said that had been quite a scene. I mean, when, when Peter cut off the ear, and then we know that Jesus put the ear back on. And, and now you've got this, this man who's a relative of the servant whose ear was cut off. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it's a story that everybody's, you know, has, knows about and is talking about and and it's like Peter you you're busted you're identified they know it's you and again Peter denied it I mean there was cut and dried proof all that you need and he denied it and then at that moment a rooster began to grow but what a lesson for us to see that, I mean, I consider Peter, he loved Jesus. I consider him one of those that when, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. When Peter said, I will die for you. I mean, I really believe Peter meant it, even though he didn't understand the depth of it. But I think there was so much love between Peter and Jesus he was impulsive. He was quick with his mouth. He stuck his foot in his mouth way too many times. That was his part of his personality. But thats he was one that the Father picked for Jesus. And yet, right here, you know, it shows that you can veer off course that quick when self takes over and you start stumbling with fear and grief You don't even see straight. You don't even think straight because here, he he was identified. It was it was very much. 
it was true. I mean, he was, he was in that garden. They witnessed what they witnessed, and it's undeniable, and yet you still deny. Isn't that something? Oh, now we go back to Jesus, and he is led before Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Now he was by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them. He came out to them before we get into what Pilate asked. This is irony at its at its worst, if you ask me. Here you have these, you have these um, people, you have the Jews that led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, Pilate. You've got them so consumed and worried about their exterior, like, oh, we can't, we can't uh, go into that palace of a Roman, um, of a Roman, because that will make us ceremonial unclean, and then we cannot um, eat the Passover. Remember when Jesus talked to those Jews and said to them, "You know what, you." You look so spit and polished on the outside. You are so careful about what you do that, that people can see and, and that on the outside, it all looks so religious and right. And, and then he says, but you're, you're, you're dead inside. You're like whitewashed tombs. So clean on the outside and yet so lost and so dead on the inside. How can they be so worried about being unclean by going into the home of, of the Roman official because then they can't eat the Passover? But yet in their heart, what are they there for? To kill Jesus. Something to think about because, you know, we are so good at making sure that what people see all looks so well and good on the outside. And we can we can fool people and they can really be awed by all of our religiousness. And yet we know that we have a God who sees our heart and knows how real we are. And how phony is that? So Pilate asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? And they, did you notice, they didn't even answer. They didn't even answer. See, they thought that, that um, Pilate, that they thought this was going to be easy. They, they thought there, there wasn't any question um, because Pilate, Pilate was um, notorious for it. He was um, known to be cruel, ruthless, completely insensitive to the feelings of anybody else. So he had that reputation. So, you know, they really thought that, you know, bringing him to Pilate, you know, being he was mean and ruthless and didn't care about anybody's feelings, and this would, this would make a feather in his cap, and, and he could throw his power around. And so they thought this was going to be easy. 
so when they asked, so when Pilate asked, um, what charges are you bringing against this man? Um, they don't have an answer because there are no charges. I mean, they, they know there are no charges. So this is, this is how they answered him. If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. That was their subtle way of getting around. Um, we wouldn't bring him if he wasn't a criminal. They call Jesus a criminal now. But they can't pinpoint any charges. Pat said, well, you take him. Take him yourself. Judge him by your own law. You got the problem with him. You don't have specific charges where I could say, well, that is, um, that's, that's the crime. And so um, I don't have anything specific. So if you got the problem with him, then judge him by your own law. But they had an ulterior motive here. They knew that they couldn't put him to death. So listen, but we have no right to execute anyone. See, they knew that. They didn't. They wanted Jesus gone. This happens that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. See, Jews could stone. They could stone, but they couldn't execute, especially by a cross. Only Rome could do that. And that's the way they wanted Jesus to go in the hardest and in the lowliest and the most painful way possible. You talk about hatred. So a mere stoning. But, but see, this, this was all part of, again, when Jesus said, remember when he said, and all men will look. To me, when when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. He knew that he needed to be lifted up on that cross. Again, he surrendered to that. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Now, um. I went back to um, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 talks about um, Jesus. Um, he is going to be, um, I, let's see. No, Luke 22. Luke 22, excuse me. I knew it had to be later in the Gospel of Luke. But Luke talks about um, this particular detail that was not in John. And I think it bears to go over this because we're walking the steps with Jesus. So he went from Annas to Caiaphas to Pilate. And then according to um, Luke in chapter 22, then he goes to Herod. And the thing about Herod is that um, Herod and Pilate do not get along at all. And so this, this is kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They hated each other too, but they came together to get rid of Jesus. So anyway, I have to say I made a mistake again. It's Luke 23. I read my, my notes wrong. So listen to this. 
It says, when Herod saw Jesus, so they went from Pilate then to Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. That's Luke 23, 8 to 12. So this is where Jesus' um, crown and robe were put on. This is where the mocking started. And then Herod, isn't it something? They were enemies before, and now they're friends. Now Herod sends them back to Pilate. And this is now, they, they went inside. Um, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said this. Is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? See, this is going to be how Jesus answers has to do with whether it was Pilate's own idea, or did he get it from the others, from the Jews? Because if if it was Pilate asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate would be Pilate would be thinking, are you here to overthrow Caesar? And then Jesus' answer would be, no, no, I, I am not the king of the Jews to be the earthly king to, to overthrow Caesar. No, then the answer would be no. That's why Jesus said, or did others talk to you about me? Because then if it's the Jews, then then yes, I am the king of the Jews. So when Pilate said, am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So now Jesus knows he can answer it this way because it's no political threat. He's not out to become the king on this earth. So now that's why his answer is this. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. See, he is now opening himself up. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, this this to me is so good. I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. I came, I came to this 
earth. I was born a human with a purpose in mind. You know, no, Pilate doesn't get this. He doesn't know, but, but we know. We know when Jesus says, you are right. I am a king. I am the second person of the Godhead. I'm king of kings. I'm Lord of lords. We know that's true. And then he says, in fact, I was willing to say yes to my father when he said, I need a blood sacrifice. That meant I had to be born as a human being. That's why I came into this world to testify to the truth. And then, and then he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate's big question, what is truth? That is, that is so important. This is the crux of this lesson here. And we have to decide what side of truth are we on. To Pilate, you know what truth was? Oh, truth was armies and soldiers and power in Rome and Caesar. Politics. That, that's what was truth to Pilate. And Jesus, what is Jesus' truth? What is Jesus' truth? What is truth when it comes from him? It is, we are sinners. Jesus' truth is, I love you, and you are a sinner, and you are doomed, you are hopeless, you are lost, you, are, you have nothing deserved but eternal death. That's truth. But that all changes in the truth because God so loved the world that he then decided to give his son and then whoever decides to believe and be on that side of truth. So what is truth? You acknowledge you're a sinner and you need a savior. You take that walk to the cross. You are then covered with his blood, his grace, his mercy. He turns you around, gifting you with his Holy Spirit and then says, okay, live the abundant life. And by the way, I'm preparing a place for you and we will dwell forever with each other. That's truth. When you live on this side of truth, Jesus says, everyone, everyone on this side of truth, when you know Jesus' truth, or are you living in Pilate's truth, P Pilate's truth being everything that this world has to offer, it's all about self and and, and Jesus said, everyone who is on this side of truth, on his side of truth, they will listen to me. They will listen to what I've said about what truth is because I am the truth. I am their way, I am the truth, and I am their life. And anyone who is willing to believe that and listen to my truth, they will listen to me. Again, we're reminded that salvation is in Jesus alone, but our salvation it's, that's not all. I mean, that, that's what, we are saved, and that's all what salvation is, but Jesus is expecting then, in view of what he's done for us, he then expects 
directs us and commands us to then listen to him, follow his commands. And I've said it these last weeks over and over again for my own benefit, but I hope for yours. We're not our own anymore. It's not about me anymore. I'm owned by the shepherd. I'm the sheep that's owned by the shepherd and the sheep follow the shepherd's voice. These are the terms of the truth. So when Pilate said, what is truth? With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? I think Pilate put it that way. Like, I mean, I can't find anything wrong with him. So, um... I'm going to have to release them. So uh, what do you think? Uh, And they shouted back. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And John, he closes this chapter with this sentence. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. He wants us to know that Barabbas was He was terrible. He was a terrible man. In fact, the Gospel of Mark calls him a murderer. I I think we can go as far as to call him a terrorist. He's a part of a rebellion. So, in other words, they're going to release. You talk about not thinking straight. When, When emotions take over your sense They're not thinking straight because they are willing to let someone as good as Jesus go and and they're letting someone, they're ready to crucify someone as good as Jesus and let someone as bad as Barabbas go. I mean, that's not thinking straight because what they're doing is they're releasing an evil man who is going to cause more problems and probably more murders and they're probably in more danger And yet they shout, no, no, no. No, you give us Barabbas. I know we know this story. We know it so well. And yet I think we better take a really good look. We better take a really good look and see how sometimes we don't think straight either when we think self knows better. When we aren't willing to surrender and follow our shepherd, even though maybe we don't like that path the shepherd is leading us on. Maybe we don't understand the the reason for the pain and the suffering. And but yet, do we trust him? He said, "In this world." And again, how profound at a time like this that we have heard the words of Jesus, and He says, "I'm telling you these things so that you're warned." We, we know the words of Jesus when he said, in this world, yes, you will have trouble. But you may have peace. In other words, if you want, you can even live in peace, even with trouble all around you. You can live in peace. 
And what is his peace again? Peace is not that it's all going to turn out the way you want it. Peace is knowing that you have a God who loves you and who is in charge and who reigns and will always be in control. And that isn't a flippant phrase. And if we, if we really believe that, I'm ending not just with about Barabbas. I want to end with Psalm 91, he who dwells. And again, it's a choice. If we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, if we really believe that he is God, we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We can say, we can say, and we can say it with boldness and with confidence. That's what we hear. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. Yes, my God, your God. It's personal. In whom I can trust. So, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, and rests in the shadow of the Almighty. With chaos going all around us, we can say, because we believe, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God in whom I trust. What a difference that can make. But His word is, is truth. And if we want comfort, if we want security, if we want confidence, we need to stay in his word, listening to his words. And we will find, we will find that his promises, we can stand on them. We can stand on them. We can hold tight to them. We know what he said to us. Like Jesus said to Martha, do you really believe this? That makes a difference. You can say it with your mouth. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that he's your refuge and your fortress, your God in whom, in whom you and I can trust? Heavenly Father, thank you again. You are our God. You are our refuge. You are our fortress. And we are so grateful that we can stand in confidence. We stand in confidence and yet we humbly kneel before you, knowing that you are God and we are not. Your plan, your will, your timing is perfect. And we can live in that blessed assurance because no matter what happens in this world, no one or nothing, nothing can snatch us from our Father's hands. So if we're taking refuge, if we're taking shelter, if we are resting in the shadow of the Almighty, we can trust you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>